get this thing adjusted here. Good morning. Wow. Good morning. Thank you for bringing your praise with you when you came this morning. We are uh, teaching through the book of First Peter. I'd like to invite you to join me there, First Peter, beginning chapter two. First Peter chapter two. We'll begin with verse four. First <clears throat> Peter two, verse four. And as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, uh, as you come to him, as you enter into his presence, as you invoke his presence with you, that's a word we don't use a lot, the word invoke, but it means to invite someone to enter in, invite someone to come in. It's, it's the image, if you would, of Jesus standing at the door, knocking on the outside, and you take the door handle on the inside and open it up and say, please come in. As we approach him, Peter is setting us up and he's saying, as you think about the very fact that you're in his presence, even right now, I think we can certainly feel his presence this morning. And he's always present where two or three are gathered, the Bible says, right? Always present where two or three are gathered. And he's always present when one gathers by themselves. That's right. Right? He's present with one. He's present with a thousand He's present. As we enter into his presence, we might say, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, well, let's just stop right there. That's a good one too. Jesus is precious to God. You know, when I think about precious, I think about my grandchildren, how precious they are, right? Uh, I think about little babies that are sitting here, so yeah, they're just all over the building this morning, just precious, right? But when God looks at his son, he sees his son as precious. That's beautiful, right? Rejected by man, but chosen by God and precious to God. You also, living stones, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are like living stones. If you've ever been to a stone cathedral, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, and seen all the masonry work around it, it's absolutely beautiful. And that was the image Peter was, was giving right now, is if you look at these stones that built this temple, you are living stones. You are living stones that are alive with breath in their lungs so they can praise God, right? You're living stones built into a spiritual house. Whenever we gather, no matter who it is or how many it is, if it's two or three or 20 or 30 or 50 or 1,000, when Christians gather together, they assemble a spiritual temple. These living stones, you and I, create a spiritual house for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in. And that's a beautiful thing. Why, why do I attend church? Why do I attend church is a question Christians are asking that day. Why should I attend? It's because when we are gathered, we we become a spiritual house, living stones, rejoicing. You know, the Bible says that even the stones will cry out, right? That's right. Isn't that what it said? So if, if you don't cry out for me, these stones will cry out. Well, now it comes full circle. We are those living stones, and we're crying out. And so this morning we've gathered. Some of the stones are more square than others. How'd you know I was talking about Wayne? 
we all, we all come in different shapes and sizes this morning, right? Right? But Jesus, listen, you ready for this? We're all shapes and sizes. Some of us have a lot of, a lot of chinks in the rock, right? A lot of cracks in the rock. A lot of things have gone bad. But when we gather, Jesus is, is the master carpenter. And he puts us all together and we fit perfectly together. In spite of all the chips and chinks and cracks and, and rocks, in spite of all the shapes and sizes that we, we bring together today, Jesus puts it all together. We're not Legos where everything fits perfectly together. We're living stones where, where I may have gaps and you have gaps and we fill each other's gaps, right? Built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Not just a regular priesthood. Not just a regular priesthood. You know, the priests were the ones who prepared uh, the church to worship, prepared the people to worship. They made sacrifices. They sacrificed the animals so that people could come in and, and worship God with their sins taken away. But it says we are being made a holy priesthood. Now, you are holy because Christ made you that way. We share in his righteousness or we share in his holiness. That's the only way we could be holy. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. Not a single one of us are good. Not a single one of us are without sin. I was talking to a gentleman this week, and uh, for three hours I sat in a, in a business this week talking about Jesus. Three hours. One question right after another. And the gentleman had been raised Catholic, uh, and uh, the Latin mass where he didn't understand what they were saying. He just knew all the words. He can repeat them perfectly today because he had them memorized. And <clears throat> I was trying to explain to him that there's none perfect. And his conversation was, but Mary was perfect. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, well, that's what I was taught. That's what I was taught. I said, what does the scripture say? He said, I don't know. And so we, there happened to be a Bible in the drawer, Right. And he asked me a question about a scripture. And, I, of course, I've got my Bible on my phone, so I went the phone out and started reading the Bible. And he said, where did where'd you get that Bible? I said, well, it's, just a, it's an app you can get. And he looked at it. And then the store owner said, well, I've got a Bible. He said, he said my Bible is in King James. I, don't, I can't read it. And the store owner reached in the drawer, pulled out a Bible that was an NIV slash message parallel Bible, you know, with the columns, and gave it to the man. Yeah. And said, you can have it. And so we sat right there and read out of his new Bible that had the owner's name on the front of it, right? So they could hear about Jesus. He'd never read the Bible for himself, these passages that he was asking about. So every time he asked me a question, I said, well, let's look in the Bible. He'd never done that before. This is in the, this is in the buckle of the Bible belt, folks. We're supposed to know our Bible, and we don't. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices. You know, in, back in Jesus' day, the sacrifices that were offered were, would be a lamb or, you know, a pigeon or a dove. There were sacrifices for people's sins that were being offered. And Peter's saying, he's saying that we are offering spiritual sacrifices. Matter of fact, the Bible says we're living sacrifices, right? And, and over, over in Romans. What is a spiritual sacrifice? What is a spiritual sacrifice? It's offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
What's a spiritual sacrifice? Well, it's spiritual, right? And it's something you give freely, right? Worship. Worship. Praise. Praise. Prayer. Prayer. Yes, all the above. You know, when you give an offering, right, it, when we give offerings in this church and put them in the plate, it's really supposed to be a spiritual sacrifice. We look at it as a monetary sacrifice. We look at it as 10%, you know, the tithe. We might say, okay, I'm going to give 10%. I may give 14%. I may give 2%. We come up with a percentage and we make it a material offering. But the offering that we give, if we give a financial offering in the plate, is supposed to be a spiritual offering. It says in, it says in the New Testament, pray and ask what you're supposed to give. That's a spiritual act. Pray. Prayer is also a spiritual sacrifice. We, we sacrifice to God our time to pray to him and talk to him and have a conversation with him. The praise that we just sang, that's a spiritual sacrifice. We offer it back up to God as a sacrifice, right? The Bible says you can only worship God in spirit and in truth. That's what it says in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And as we sing songs, as we worship, our life is a worship. Hey, check this out. You ready? The way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband is an act of worship. Emily was off at camp this week. She came back and told us early that she is going to be taking a course on how to honor your leaders. The way you honor your leaders is worship. It's an act of worship. Right? The, the way you treat people outside the four walls of this building is an act of worship. The way you treat your parents, the way you treat your children, your grandchildren, your grandparents is an act of worship. All of life as a Christian should be an act of worship. Everything we do and everything we say. Spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And the stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. It's not the rock's fault. It's not the rock's fault. We want to blame the rock when we stumble. When we run into the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to challenge us. When you, when you study the claims of Christ, if it doesn't challenge you, then you're Christ yourself. That makes sense? If, I'm going to say it again. I'll say it in Spanish, okay? If you study the claims of Christ, right, and nothing makes you worried when you read that. Nothing upsets you about it that you're not mad. Then, then you are Christ, right? There's none good, no, not one. We're all struggling. We're all going through this thing called life together. And so when you bump into one of the claims of Christ that he says in your life, and it causes you to struggle, that's a good thing. God wants to develop you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to grow you in that. But these people that he's talking about here are the ones who stumble and fall because they reject the truth outright. It's not that we struggle with the truth. Love your neighbor. Well, what does that look like? Sometimes we struggle with that. This is completely rejecting it. It says they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they're destined for. But you, but you, 
but you. That's a whole sermon right there. But you. But you. But you. But you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. I know I've shared this before, but when I was younger, 10 or 11, 9 or 10, playing on the playground, I was never chosen until the last person. And, you know, they had to pick the last person. You just can't leave somebody standing there, right? Although they left me standing there several times, right? I was a toothpick and six feet tall, uncoordinated. I wasn't chosen. But the Bible says that I'm chosen. Red Rover, ride ro Red Rover, Red Rover, God says, send Jim right over, right? 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 That's right. Remember that. Remember that tomorrow. But you are a chosen people. You're chosen. You are a royal priesthood. Not just a regular priesthood. Not just the run-of-the-mill priesthood. Not just the, you know, the guys who get paid minimum wage priesthood, right? You're a royal priesthood. You get to wear a royal robe. Right? Royal priesthood. The royal priesthood were royal because back in the day, nations had kings, and those kings had priests that took care of them and made sure they did all the right things before the God, whether it was a little G or a big G, they did that. But when you were in the king's court, you became a royal priest. You became a royal priest because you served in the king's court. We are royal priests because we serve in the king's court. Paul says that we are now seated right now with Christ in heavenly places. We're already royalty. We're already royalty. No matter what you think about yourself, no matter what you think about yourself, God thinks you're a royal priesthood. He sees you as royal. A holy nation. Well, that would be nice if our nation was holy, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if there was any nation that's holy? You know, there are people who do statistics, and they say that probably South Korea is the most Christian nation on the planet. Bypassed America, right? And that's people that do statistics. I don't know exactly how they do that, but they would say percentage-wise, more people act out their faith in South Korea than anywhere else in the world. As a matter of fact, it's where the largest church in the world is. It's got like one or two million church members in, in Korea. That's that's a lot of folks, isn't it? They have like 20 or 30 services over the weekend, and people line up for hours, hours to wait to get to their service, to be able to go in and worship and pray and hear preaching. We had a crowd this morning lined up for hours. I mean, they were lined up waiting to get in. It was just amazing. There like 5,000 people outside the door here. But in Korea, they line up hours ahead of time two and three hours ahead of time just to be able to get to worship. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And that's right, Millie. You're a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's nice to belong to something, isn't it? People belong to God. That you may, here it is, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here's the whole purpose. His whole purpose, he's saying, 
All these things so that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what you did. If you sang any of these songs, or just one of these songs, you were declaring his praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Someone has said, I don't remember who it was, that made the comment or the statement that... Uh, the reason we have to have evangelism, that Christians have to have evangelism and missions is because we don't worship. His premise was, if we worshiped, if we praised God, that people would see our praise and would be so drawn by it, they would come in and say, what is this that's going on in this place? And their lives would be transformed just because of our worship. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just a statement. It's a bold statement. But we are called to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Are you glad you're not walking in darkness? Yes. When's the last time you walked in darkness? You know, Debbie and I go walking every night, usually after dark when it gets cool. And some parts of our little lap that we take are dark and some have street lights. And when you're in the street lights, everything's great. But the other day we were walking, and it was dark, and I always carry a little flashlight with me after dark. We're talking about 8 and 9 o'clock dark, okay? Nobody else is driving. Nobody else is walking. It's a great time to go walking. And we, we walked by, and I told Debbie, I said, stop. <laughs> and she said, what is it? I looked down, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw a snake. Yeah, looked like a copperhead. They all look like copperheads to me. Yeah. They're all poisonous. There's two kinds of snake. There's, there's one that's dead and one's about to be dead, right? <laughs> Am I right, Melinda? And so it wasn't, you know, it was about that long. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a killer. Unless it had bit me, then, you know, the thing was three inches from my hand. If it bit me, I'd be dead in three seconds, right? <laughs> so I do what? Tastes like chicken. It does. You know, when you're walking in darkness, you can stumble across snakes. Mm. That's good. Mm. Not good, but that's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think snakes were bad. Snakes are out at night, trust me. Oh, I can tell you a story. Years ago, I was fishing in a farm pond in South Georgia. There were three of us in the boat. We were doing a called a trot line, or some people call it a catfish line, where the line attaches to that side of the bank and attaches to that side of the bank, and every five feet or so there's a hook in the water with bait. And we were checking. It was midnight, and it was Debbie's brother and uh, his cousin and, and me. And I was in the back of the boat, and so the first guy pulls the line up, takes the fish off if there's one on there. The second guy baits it, and the third guy, me, in the back of the boat, is paddling the boat, making sure we're going where we're supposed to be going. Now, it's dark. We've got a couple of lights out, you know, flashlights. Snakes are attracted to flashy light at night. Oh, yeah. Trust me on this one. <laughs> and so I'm in the boat. We're just kind of easing along and doing the trot line, putting bait back on it, taking the catfish off. And I look out the corner of my eye, and there's a big old moccasin. They're all moccasins. Big old moccasin <laughs> coming right at the boat. I'm talking about four or five maybe four or five feet at the most away from our hands down in the water. Of course, I had a little pistol on my side, a little 22 with rat shot in it, just for that occasion. 
And so I wheeled around and pulled the gun out, and the guys are still baiting. They didn't see the snake. They didn't see me move. You know, we just all kind of move around. And I turn around, pow, shot him twice, dropped him right there. The front of the boat didn't know what was happening. <laughs> oh, my. oh, my word, it went crazy from that point on. I don't know what happened, but. Well, there were three preachers in the boat, and I'm not sure what was said afterwards. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what happened in the boat stays in the boat. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, snakes come out in the dark. I was a, <clears throat> I was a land surveyor for 10 years, starting at about 12 at 13, and uh, we would go out in the woods. We'd have to cut line through the woods, sometimes marsh and swamp, to uh, measure from point A to point B and to put a pin in the ground so that people who had the property could come find out where their property is, that sort of thing. And we were, we were cutting line one day through the swamp, and the, the bush was up this tall, that tall grass, and it was kind of a swampy area, and we were swinging bush hooks. And uh, the guy behind me said, you know, I'll take the lead if you want to rest a minute. And I said, no, I'll, I'll get up to the creek here, and then we'll stop. And I'm swinging along, and my bush hook goes down, which is a big blade on a long stick, if you don't know what that is. And hit a stump, and just, I mean, just sh shuddered in my hands. It's like, man, what in the world? I didn't see it. it was, the grass was so tall. So I cleared out of the way and looked down. And at my feet, there was a half of a copperhead oh. coming after me. They all look like copperheads. <laughs> The other half was still on that log. I'd hit the log. It was thigh high. He would have he bitten me if I'd have taken another step. But <coughs> chopped him in half and never saw him. I can tell you some snake stories. I can tell you about one that stretched across the road 10 feet. That was a sure enough moccasin there. <laughs> they all look 10 feet. Maybe 12. And they're attracted to light. And they're attracted to light. I will. Hey, God has called you out of darkness. Whatever darkness, and listen, we all experience periods of darkness in our life. Let's be honest. There, there are periods of darkness, maybe a day, an hour, maybe a year. There are periods of darkness that we experience. God wants to call us out of those darknesses too. He wants to let us know in the midst of our struggle... He's still the light of our life. And he wants you to know that today. And this scripture, it's just so powerful. He's, he's called us out of this. He said, I don't want you living in darkness. I don't want you stumbling around. I don't want you running into snakes and spiders. Right? I want you living the life that he's promised. And what was that life? John 10, 10. I've come to give you a mediocre life. A mediocre. Oh, more abundantly. Is that what the scripture says? Oh. Wow, he's come to give us life more abundant. He really wants us to have that. He's not holding anything back from us, dangling it over here and saying, oh, fetch, fetch. He's saying, I prepared a table for you in the presence of your darkness. Come and eat. Come and eat. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Okay, look at your husband and say, you are an alien and a stranger. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> and your mama dresses you funny too. That's right. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. Hey, this isn't home. This isn't home. This isn't, the, this isn't final home. This isn't where it all ends. It isn't where it all ends. This is, this is just passing through. Janice, we're just passing through, right? There are aliens and strangers. And people who don't know Jesus are going to look at you like you're an alien or a stranger. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. I have never seen so much slander in the news of people in power. And I'm not just talking about our president. I'm talking about anybody in any role anymore. The slander that's put out there, it's just, it's unbelievable. Never thought I'd see it in America. We will be accused of doing wrong. Right? You can do your best to be accused of doing wrong. Right? Right? And Jesus says, however, lift such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Hey, Jesus is coming back. And it's not going to be for a visit in our terms of the visit. It's going to be for real and for life. And the people who have mocked you for your Christianity will meet Jesus. And he's going to have a conversation with them. Everybody meets Jesus. Everybody's going to, everybody's going to meet Jesus. The 7 billion people that are on the planet right now, they're all going to meet Jesus. And he's going to have a chat with them. Because the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They're going to meet Jesus and then he's going to say, sorry, I didn't know you. And he's going to, he's going to meet others who are trusting him. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the glory of the Lord. Right? So whatever abuse you're taking from, the, from pagans, from the world, live your lives. Live your lives with such good deeds that on the day Jesus comes and visits, they're going to say, you know, you were right. I wish I'd listened to you. You were right. I wish I'd listened to you. And then Jesus figures out at that point what he's going to do with everybody. But our job is to live our lives in this life as Christ would. Right? And do good deeds. So this morning, one of the good deeds that we can do is to share the Lord's Supper together. We often look at it as uh, a spiritual sacrifice, which it is, but it's also a good deed because we're sharing it together with one another. It's a way to encourage one another. It's a way to celebrate the Lord's life, death, and his coming again when he comes for that visit. So let's share the Lord's Supper together. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your amazing presence in our midst. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. I thank you that he's coming back to take us to be with him. I thank you that this is not our home, Father, because things down here fall apart. 
Houses fall apart. Cars fall apart. Refrigerators fall apart. Life falls apart. Marriages fall apart. Our bodies fall apart. So I'm glad this isn't home. I'm glad this isn't home. Father, we look forward to home where nothing falls apart. Where everything, where everything, where everything is done for your glory and your honor. Where everything is beautiful and everything is new and where nothing falls apart. Thank you for the gift of heaven. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for eternity in your presence. And thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who's present in this room this morning, who is present in our lives this morning, who is speaking to us tenderly about the claims of Christ. Holy Spirit, come now and drive out darkness, bring in light. Drive out darkness, bring in light. Drive out the sand and bring in living water. Come, Holy Spirit, pour out living water into us and through us that it might bring glory to you. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.